Thank you, Pastor Brad and Mandy and musicians for leading us uh, in worship today. Uh, welcome to Crossroads Live. My name is Matt Manning, and I am excited today as we start a brand new sermon series called Ask Anything, that this has become one of the most popular sermon series that we do here at Crossroads Church. Now, if you are brand new here to Crossroads and maybe have never experienced Ask Anything here, let me kind of set this up for you. This whole series is really driven uh, by you. And as we go through this, we just simply give you the opportunity to ask whatever question you've always wanted to maybe ask a pastor. We open up a text line and we say, ask whatever question is that you have. And then what we do is we take the most asked questions and the most pertinent questions. And over the course of a couple of weeks, every weekend, we take three or four of those questions and we go about answering those. Now, just so you know, we don't dodge the hard questions as you're going to see today. We just simply try to take the questions that you ask and answer them from a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. Now, these messages, if you're regular around here at Crossroads, these messages are going to look a little bit different than the way that we typically do them here at Crossroads. Because we're answering three or four questions a week, some of them are related, some of them are not. Uh, these sermons are going to feel a little bit more informational, like a, like a lecture or maybe a seminary teaching than they would an inspirational message. But also, because as we go through this and answer some questions, probably most likely other questions will come up to the surface. And that's totally cool. If you have more questions, we'd love to hear even more questions. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to keep our text line open. And if you want to join in the fun, you can just simply text your question to 720-230-6865. Now, as we jump into this today, maybe the first question that we should be answering is this question, is why do this series? Why do we do this series? Why do we take time out every year to simply pause and, and out, pause in our corporate worship and ask questions or answer questions? Well, that's a good question. Let me answer it. The reason that we do this series is not simply to answer questions for answering questions' sake, but really to help. See, we realize that life throws a lot of hard questions our way, doesn't it? Whether you're a believer or not, life throws a lot of hard questions our way. And those hard questions, we believe, have some very good answers in the Bible. And so we take this time to do this series in order to help you answer the questions that maybe have been dogging you, maybe that you've been wondering about for a long time. And if you're a believer, our prayer and our hope is that as we answer these questions, that it would encourage you to really inspire you, to have a reason for the hope that you have, that you would be able to give reason for the hope that you have as you live throughout this life. And if you're a non-believer, if you're, you're not really a church person, if faith's not a big deal, but you're tuning in for whatever reason today, my prayer for you is simply this, is that as we answer these questions today, that you would understand what we're all about as believers, as a church, and maybe even some of the answers to these questions would inspire you to take a step towards the God who loves you so, so much. And so as all of that kind of as the beginning, as the intro, I know you're ready, so I'm just going to go ahead and answer a couple of the questions today. We have four of them, and question number one is a super fun question, so here it is, the first question. What really is Pastor Trevor's favorite hot sauce? Now, if you don't know Pastor Trevor, Pastor Trevor is what we call a 
chili head. And a chili head is a person who loves to put hot stuff in their mouth that makes them cry and makes their belly hurt as they cry on the floor. That's what a chili head is. And Trevor is a huge chili head. In fact, he goes to hot sauce festivals and all of that stuff. And one of the things that he regularly talks about is hot sauce. And so this question is, what is Pastor Trevor's favorite hot sauce? So we're going to play a little game. You get to play at home. This is multiple choice, okay? So I'm going to give you three answers, and you get to try to guess which one Pastor Trevor's is, all right? The first one is Blair's Heat Exotic Hot Sauce Mango Habanero. The second one is Danny Cash's Colorado's Ghost Town. And the third answer is Sour Cream. Sour Cream, all right? You got your answer? All right, here's the reveal. These are actually from real pastors. Here we go. The first one is actually my favorite one. It's a little bit sweet. It's got some bite to it. If you just want to enjoy a hot sauce, go with that one. Pastor Trevor brought that one back from the Hot Sauce Festival this year, and it is oh so good. If you want to uh, experience pain as you take the hot sauce and then experience that same pain eight hours later, go with B. That is Pastor Trevor's favorite hot sauce, all right? You probably gave it away. It was ghost town. Now, if you're a lightweight like Pastor Jared, simply go with sour cream, all right? You can't go wrong there. All right, question number two. That one was fun. Question number two, a little bit more, um, a little bit more difficult. This one's a doozy. What is the church's stance on Black Lives Matter? Now, I had a hunch that this question would come in, and I'm grateful to be given the opportunity to answer it. And I realize that as we talk about Black Lives Matter, that there is a lot of emotion around answering this question. That Black Lives Matters, uh, speaking about it, there is an inherent risk in answering this question first. Because it's totally possible for some of you to stop listening. And the reason that you might stop listening is you might believe that churches shouldn't step into politics, and, and so you're just going to turn it off. Or for some of you, you might think that this answer is, feels too one-sided. Or, or for other reasons, you might think that, that the church should just have no voice in this and say nothing at all. However, the reason that I want to answer this question is because part of my role as senior pastor of this church is to fearlessly speak into the issues of our day helping us collectively think biblically and from a biblical worldview of the things that we experience in this life. And so the problem is this. For pastors and for churches is the political polarization that's happening in our country. And it makes everything a right or a left issue. And our role as Christians is not to be political, but rather to be biblical and to think biblically. So when it comes to the early church, the early church stood, really had four things that separated it from the rest of the world. That these four distinctions are what, are what really made the church distinct from the culture in which it was living in. The first one was this, is that they were sold out for racial justice. Namely, that they believed that all races were created equal in the image of God. The second thing that separated them from culture is this, is that they had a deep, deep concern for the poor and the marginalized. The third thing is that they were radically pro-life. And when I say pro-life, I'm not just talking about abortion, but, but back in the day of child sacrifices and all the way through life, when it comes to like youth in Asia of, of seniors, that the church stood up and they spoke for the powerless and the vulnerable. Then the fourth thing that separated the church really from culture was that when it came to Christians, just Christians, when it came to Christians, that they believed that, they believed that sex was designed by God to be experienced by a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Now, according to a worldview, a biblical worldview, these four things in our scriptures 
are the foundation for human flourishing, that they are necessary for human flourishing. And the early church was marked by these. This is what, this is what distinguished the church from the culture. Now, we know that. There's no debate over that. But here's the rub for us in our current kind of cultural context. These four things have become radically politicized in our, in our context, in our society, in our country. As Timothy Keller, a great pastor and author of our century, wrote, he said these, uh, that two of these look very conservative or right, and two of these look very liberal or left. Those four things are never combined in any political party, he says. They're not combined in any other institution outside of Catholic social teaching in biblical Christianity. That's the only place that we find these four things coming together. And so what's happening in our nation, he says, is that there is enormous pressure everywhere in the country for churches and pastors to major on two of them and then to be silent about two of them. So here's my guess. My guess is that very few people at Crossroads would accuse me of being political if I talked about the dangers of, of premarital sex or stood up here and, and gave a sermon supporting a pro-life stance. In fact, I would probably get cheers. I would probably be told how courageous I was that I was, I was standing on those two topics. However, here at Crossroads, we're not just going to major on two of those and then remain silent on two of these. Here at Crossroads, what we're going to do is boldly address all four of them regularly in a way that we critically think through them and, and what the Bible has to say about them. So with all of that as a preface, when you consider the statement, Black Lives Matter, in the year of 2020, we're talking about a statement that has become a major and controversial part of our national conversation. And it's our responsibility as Christians to think critically, to think biblically, and to figure out what it means from a biblical worldview, how we're to understand the world in which we're living in, and the issues that are going around us. So on one hand, as a statement, the sentence is profoundly true. I hope we can all agree on that. Very few people have publicly said that black lives don't matter. We're talking about human beings made in the image of God. Oftentimes, if you're a part of Crossroads Church, oftentimes we, we talk about the image of God as being one of the fundamental truths that we go to time and time again in our sermons and in our teachings. That, that people are created in the image of God. That it is right for Christians to always affirm that every single human being, at every point of development, under every condition, every race, every ethnicity, past, present, and future, is a creature made in the image of God. That they are an image bearer, a human being who possesses full human dignity, value, and worth, and needs to be recognized as having, by divine right, full human rights. Now, again... I hope we can all agree on that. Now, in 2013, the phrase Black Lives Matter became a part of our national conversation with the death of Trayvon Martin. And almost immediately, almost immediately, there were those who said, well, it's wrong to just say Black Lives Matter. It's wrong to just single out a certain part of humanity. And so almost immediately, people started to say, you need to say all lives matter. And then came into the national conversation, you need to say blue lives matter. Now, is all of that true? Of course it is. It's all true. Lives matter. Lives matter. 
But it's not morally wrong for us to say something as emphatically directed as the statement, black lives matter. Let me give you a different context. If all of us were living in 1941 during World War II, and all the things that were going on in the world were, were happening, it would be morally right, and I would even argue that Christians would have an obligation to make the proclamation that Jewish lives matter. Now, the issue and the vitriol come because Black Lives Matters is not simply a statement, but it is also now known as a movement. That according to the document, Vision for Black Lives, posted on their website by the movement of Black Lives, you can find all of this on their web, that you find out that the Black Lives Matter movement and the movement for black lives are far more radical than the civil rights movement of the 1960s, by which, by the way, were driven by black pastors who were grounded in the theological truth that all of us are created in the image of God. Today's Black Lives Matter movement is calling for a total replacement of our current society in a global revolution. That's what we're watching play out on the news. In this sense, the movement, not the statement, is rejectionist rather than reformist. They not only dismiss the whole American culture as hopelessly racist, but that we are also to set aside capitalism, that two out of the three founders are very specifically Marxist in their, in their standing. The movement, not the statement, aims to disrupt biblical-defined family structures which are characterized by the unconditional love and support of all image bearers. Now, as Christians, like I said earlier, we're called to evaluate everything through the lens of the gospel of Jesus, that we're to think biblically through this. So in doing so, we affirm the statement, not the movement, enthusiastically and without hesitation. Black lives do, in fact, matter. Absolutely. But the phrase, as a movement, turns out to include many points that are in direct opposition of biblical Christianity. And so here at Crossroads Church, you will not likely hear us utter the phrase, Black Lives Matter, only because we don't want to be associated with the movement even though we affirm the truth of the statement. You will instead hear us speak courageously about racial justice and equality because to do so is biblical and it's honoring to God. It was Paul who first took this on with the churches in Galatians. In fact, it happens in Galatians chapter 3. This becomes a, a, a creed, a statement of faith in the early church for those who are being baptized. Paul writes this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, that you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, all of us have friends in Jesus who belong to different uh, ethnic and racial groups. Some of them are hurting and, and fearful. And we need to be careful and attentive to what they're telling us about their distress. And this also means that we need to be careful not to dismiss or to minimize what they're going through, whether that be with our actions or our words, but rather as believers that we are to come alongside the marginalized and stand with them in their sufferings. I think that the words of Jesus are worth remembering here. He speaks these words out of Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, The good person 
out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the hearts, his mouth speaks. When it comes to these times that we are now living in, that we confess that we need the Holy Spirit now more than ever to guide us through these turbulent times as we reach for what is right and what is good and what is just on behalf of all of those who are made in the image of God, which just so happens to be every single one of us. All right? That's all about uh, I have to say about that question. Question number three. What do we know, or how do we know, we are hearing from the Holy Spirit? Well, of all of the blessings that are ours in Jesus, I cannot think of any greater than the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That Jonathan Edwards, the the great American revivalist preacher of the 1700s said that the Spirit is the total sum, the total sum of the blessings that Christ sought on the cross and ultimately through his resurrection. That when we turn to the pages of Scripture, the writers of the Bible spoke of the Spirit and they said it's the Spirit that helps us see the face of Jesus, our Savior. That it's the Spirit who, who, who awakens our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. That it's the Spirit who gives us good gifts. It's the Spirit who delivers us and seals us for heaven. That it's the Spirit who Jesus said that I'm going away and it's to your advantage that I go away so that the Spirit can come into your life as a counselor guiding you through this life. Now, because of all of those good things that the Bible writers had to say, that's why this question is important. How do we hear? How do we know that we're hearing the Holy Spirit in our lives? Now, for all of the blessings that the Spirit brings, the sad fact of the matter is, is that many of us struggle under the confusion when it comes to recognizing the Spirit's presence in our lives, don't we? I mean, every single one of us, at some point or another, have, have gone through confusion and struggle trying to understand the Spirit's presence in our lives. And for some of you, maybe you were taught, whether you were a believer or not, maybe you heard that speaking in tongues and prophesying were the two indispensable marks, the two indispensable signs that the Spirit's power was alive in you. Maybe for others of you, you're, you're a little bit like me and, and the Spirit's presence was more generalized. Like you would see the power of the Spirit in, in visions and in healings and impressions and, and so on. Now, please hear me as I answer this, that the Spirit does reveal himself in the miraculous ways. I mean, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you, you see the wondrous works of the Spirit. In fact, by the time we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is imploring us with these words. Here's what he writes. He says, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially, especially that you may prophesy. The spiritual gift of of prophecy is a message usually given to a believer that's of personal uh, revelation by the Holy Spirit. And the reason that prophecy is given is for edification, for the building up, for encouragement, for conviction, for guidance to those that the Spirit wants to speak to. And I want you to know that, that because of this verse, that I have started doing this in my life, that I realize that every time I get up here as a preacher who's preaching more and more, particularly in this life, that, that I need the prophecy of the Holy Spirit, that I need to be able to speak encouragement and, and conviction over the church in which I'm leading, that I need this, you need this, I'm praying for this, just like Paul asks us to do. Now, nevertheless, when Paul 
is speaking to the churches in, in Galatia. He's speaking to them, and he, he uses these phrases, like, like walk in the Spirit or be in step with the Spirit. And when he speaks about this, he speaks to it in such a way that he focuses their attention not on spiritual gifts, but rather on the Spirit's fruit. It's as if he's saying to the churches and to us today, that when it comes to, to listening for the Spirit, when it comes to, to us walking in the Spirit and knowing whether we're walking with the Spirit or if we're out of step with the Spirit, if you want to know if you're, if you're hearing the Spirit rightly, he says, pay attention to the fruits of the Spirit. He says, pay attention to love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That when the Spirit speaks to us, he speaks to us using those, that language, those things. And so as believers, if you just need to know that if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, that the Spirit's always speaking to you. That there's never a day that the, the Spirit's not talking to you, that, that you're being spoken to because you're a believer. And the way that you can, can hear the Spirit is as you focus in on the fruits of the Spirit, listening for those things. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the place to start. That God will never speak contrary to those things as he speaks to you in the spirit. Now, let me just say, if this question intrigues you, then I just want you to know that in November of this year, God willing that the apocalypse doesn't keep unfolding in front of us, that we're going to speak and have a series on the Holy Spirit, that Pastor Tim and I are going to do a three-week series where we're going to talk about things like what does it mean to be indwelt by the Spirit? What does it mean to grieve the Spirit? What does it mean to be full of the Spirit's presence? What, does, what are these gifts all about? That we're going we're gonna to handle all of those over the course of, of a conversation and a series on the Spirit. And so hang with us in November. That's coming, all right? Question number four. Is suicide an unforgivable sin. Let me start by answering this question in this way. That as a pastor in my time here, over 14, 15 years that I've been here, that I have experienced more pain because of this issue as a pastor than any other issue within this church. The very first funeral that I officiated was a man who committed suicide by diacing himself in gasoline and then lighting himself in fire, on fire in his garage. And as he was burning, his middle school student, boy, was walking home. He saw the flames coming out from under the garage. He rushed to the garage. He opened the garage door to see his dad burning. Walking that boy through that trauma forever changed my life. That we've had many people who, we've loved, who we love here at Crossroads Church commit suicide. And every time it happens, it hurts. And for those of us who are the survivors of, of someone who's committed suicide, almost immediately in every case, we begin to think that, that I should have known. I should have seen something. I, I should have been more aware. I should have, been, I should have asked more questions. That every single time there's suicide, those thoughts begin to enter in. And I just want you to know that if you're a survivor of suicide, of someone who's committed suicide in your life, that that's an unfair burden that's been placed on our lives that we were never intended to carry. So let me be clear in answering this, that self-murder is serious. 
It is spiritually and eternally serious to murder yourself. It is not a light thing. And anyone listening to my voice right now who's dealing with this, who's contemplating suicide, let you hear this from me. Don't do it. There's a better way. That Jesus provides a better way. That maybe you don't feel like that right now, but right now your feelings are, are deceiving you. They are not true. It is true that God has another way for you. That you need to lean into him. You need to wait for him. You need to seek him. You need to let him, let him reach out and, and heal you and meet you in your need. Because the Bible says that it's very serious when it comes to self-murder. And so if you're there right now, if you're contemplating suicide and that's a real reality in your life in this moment, what I want you to do is I want you to stop and I want you to call 911. And whoever answers that, I want you to tell them what you are feeling right now. If these are thoughts that you've had in your past, a struggle that you walk with in your life, we're here to help. Pastor Chris runs a great counseling ministry here at Crossroads Church, and, and we want to come alongside and we want to help you reach out to us. Now to answer the question, is suicide the unpardonable sin? I'm going to answer that I don't believe that suicide is the unpardonable sin. And the reason that I think that is because of two reasons. First is, is that in the Old Testament, we have this story of the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. And Saul is spoken to by God through the prophet Samuel on the eve of Saul's death, which was by suicide. That Samuel looks at Saul speaking on behalf of God, and he says these words to him in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 19. He says, moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Now, God knew everything that was going to happen in this moment. He looks at Saul and he says, tomorrow you're going to go into battle. And as you go into battle, the Philistines are going to overwhelm the Israelites and you're going to lose. The Philistines are going to take Israel. That's what's going to happen. And and even so much that God knows that Saul is going to die. He knows that Saul is going to kill himself. And even in the midst of that, God looks at Saul and he says, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me, presumably in heaven. Now, while that's a good example, more importantly, the reason that I believe that, that suicide is not the unpardonable sin is because of the hope that we have in the gospel. That once I truly believe in Jesus as my Savior, all of my sins are forgiven. All of my sins are forgiven. Past, present, future, all of them are forgiven. That one of the greatest promises that we have in all of Scripture is Hebrews 10, 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, all sins, that he sat down at the right hand of God. That when we go to Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he speaks these words. He says, for I am sure, and that Greek word sure there is convinced, like to my toes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation, including you, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That what makes this verse so powerful 
is that we begin to realize that there is nothing that we do to earn our salvation, that it is a gift given to us by God, and there is nothing that we can do to lose our salvation, that there is nothing that separates us from the love of God, which means we always have hope. We always have hope. That the gospel is so clear that when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, then the promise that's given to us is not only that we have eternal life, but that we have the abundant life now, that there is hope. If you've never experienced that hope, I want to give an opportunity for you to do so today. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, I want to tell you a little bit about this God that we worship here at Crossroads. That there's a God in this universe who loves you more than you could ever imagine. And because of your sin, because of your sin, you pushed him away. And God says, I'm not, I'm not going to let you live out there. And so he sends his son, Jesus, in. And Jesus lives this, this perfect life. And he goes to the cross and he dies for your sin, for the forgiveness of your sins, so that you can be close with God. Three days later, he, he resurrects from the grave, proving he is who he says he is. And then we get to Romans chapter 10. And the Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose three days later showing that he was God. And we confess that with our mouths. Then salvation is ours. The love of God is ours. And Paul says you cannot be separated from that. If you want to more, know more about that hope that we have, the gospel that we proclaim, what I want you to do is one of two things. If you're watching Crossroads Live, there's a little box that says, I believe. Push that, raise your hand, and it'll take you to a place that'll begin this journey with you. If you're watching, you can take your phone out and you can simply text Jesus to the number 720-513-1933. If you text Jesus to that number, we have people ready to lead you, to talk to you, to answer your questions when it comes to faith. Would you pray with me, Father? Lord, I'm grateful for the way that you move in our lives. God, I'm grateful that no question is too hard for you and Lord, that you've given us your words to help us think through a biblical worldview, to think critically, Lord, about the things that are going on in this world. I thank you, Lord, for the hope that you've given us, the love that you show us, the Holy Spirit that indwells us. God, for all of that, all of those are blessings, and we, we thank you for them. And God, I pray for the people, Lord, the hearts, the souls, Lord, where you're knocking on the door right now. God, I pray that they would take the courageous step and ask their own question about what this salvation is all about. Lord, we give that to you, trusting you, loving you. We know that you love us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.